It's good to see you all. It's so good to have some of our Florida folks back. It's really nice to have you back. And um, glad you all made it with the time change. It's always been kind of a recurring nightmare for me that um, my clock won't change and then I miss Sunday worship. But look, we're here. So um, good. The nightmare hasn't come true as of yet. Still got, we've got a few years to test it. Well, this morning, I am going to encourage us to do a little uh, mind exercise, a reflection on ladders. Yep, ladders. Has anyone ever here used a ladder? Yeah, I know. Some of you have. Some of you are in uh, construction, so you've used ladders a lot more than I have, so this should be pretty easy for you. So ladders today are going to be the visual that help us to understand kingdoms, the kingdom of this world versus the kingdom of God. So see, in our scripture for today, we have two very different kingdoms interacting with each other, the kingdom of this world versus the kingdom of God, represented by Pontius Pilate and Jesus Christ. And I invite you to imagine these two men in our text, something like this, these images on the screen. So now obviously Pontius Pilate and Jesus Christ did not look like this. Um, Pontius, we don't have photos, but I'm imagining he didn't wear blue jeans and a tie, just a guess. And Jesus, I don't think was a middle-aged, balding, Caucasian man in a black suit, though if that's how you'd like to imagine him, there you go. So I am, encourage you to, to think about these images. Um, the one on the left, the one that we're going to imagine is Pontius Pilate. He is on a ladder, right? It's a, one use of a ladder. So here he is, just in case you can't see it well, he's standing proudly on the top of this ladder, pridefully rather. He's laughing, he's quite self-absorbed, oblivious to anything else that's going on, oblivious to anyone who might be below him. So that's one use of a ladder. The one on the right, the one that we're going to imagine is Jesus, is a very different use of a ladder. It is a man who has descended the ladder in order to help somebody else up. And these are going to represent the two kingdoms that are at play in our text. Pontius Pilate, Jesus Christ. Kingdoms of this world, kingdom of God. So hold on to these images as we read our text for today, which is John 18. I believe it's page 880 in your pew Bible if you want to follow along. And this is going to record the first interaction between Jesus and Pilate. But before we read, let us pray. Jesus Christ, Lord of all, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you, O Christ. Amen. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord from John 18, verses 28 to 40. Then they took Jesus from Caiaphas to Pilate's headquarters. It was early in the morning. They themselves did not enter the headquarters so as to avoid ritual defilement and to be able to eat the Passover. Just a heads up, the they there is the um, Jewish religious leaders. So Pilate went out to them, the Jewish religious leaders, and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered, If this man were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. 
The Jews replied, we are not permitted to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill what Jesus had said when he indicated the kind of death he was to die. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? And Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it were, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate asked him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no case against him, but you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? They shouted in reply, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a bandit. This is the word of the Lord. Are you the king of the Jews? Pilate asked Jesus. My kingdom is not from this world, Jesus replies. Pilate's a bit confused, so he asks again, So you are a king. So Jesus, are you a king or not? Pilate is confused. And there's reason for Pilate to be confused. Because, see, what we know now, what Jesus knew then, is that Jesus is a king, but his kingdom is vastly different from the kingdom that Pilate is used to. You see, Pilate and Jesus, they represent contrary kingdoms. Pilate, the kingdoms of this world, and Jesus, the kingdom of God. Now, it's not that the kingdom of God has nothing to do with this world. For remember, God created this world God sustains this world. God loves this world. God came to redeem this world. We believe that God is alive and active in this world even today. The main difference, the difference is who. The difference is who is king. Who is king changes everything. It changes our identity. It changes how we live. It changes the quality of our lives. It changes our very hope and future. Who is king changes absolutely everything. And the difference between kings and kingdoms is what we're going to try to understand with these ladders. So first, in the picture on the left, we have this visual portrayal of Pilate's idea of a kingdom. In Pilate's mind, he is king. He is the one on the top. He is in charge, at least of his region. Because you see, from a worldly perspective, Pilate was on top, at least in his area. And it's important for us to understand this. When we say the Apostles' Creed, this ancient creed, we say Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. 
And that's helpful to understand the historical context, but it's also helpful to understand all that Pilate represents, all the powers and forces that Jesus was suffering under. So we need to take a look at who Pilate was and the power that's behind him, the forces behind him. So this is who Pilate was, if you've um, never heard this before. So Pilate was a Roman governor of Judea. And that means that the only person that was above him was the emperor of Rome himself. And the emperor in that day, he was the most powerful person in the world. So Pilate, as a representative of the emperor, he has all of the world's power behind him. Money, military, executive powers. And this is kind of hard for us to understand today in 21st century America because we have this thing called separation of powers. Do you remember fifth grade um, social studies class where you have to do the separation of powers? Yeah, it kind of helps keep people in check. People have to work together. There was nothing like that in the Roman Empire. The emperor is on top, what he says goes, and he sends out these representatives, and so then what the representatives say go, and they have all the power behind them to make that happen. So a governor, he was in charge of everything in his region. The courts, the legislatures, the military, the finances, there were no budget deals to agree on. There was no United Nations to step in if they thought that your decisions were destructive. No, what a Roman governor wanted, he got. And Pilate is the governor of Judea, which is where Jesus lives. So in Jesus' day, Pilate is on top. He's on top of the worldly ladder, that is. He's on top of what is the kingdom of the world of that day. But this position on top of the world, as we sometimes say today, that wasn't a given for the Romans. No, the way they got there was by fighting and killing a lot of people to get to that position. That's how worldly kingdoms worked. They wanted to be king so they could be in control. So they pushed everyone else out of the way to get there. And once they get there, they don't want to lose that position. So they do whatever they can to keep others down. They step on their fingers, give them a kick in the face if they get too close. They throw people off the ladder all together if they're going to rock the ladder. That's what it was like for the worldly kingdom of Rome. That's what it's like for worldly kingdoms today. And the Romans, they were willing to use every force behind them to keep themselves on top. That's just how worldly kingdoms work. Now Pontius Pilate, he was the perfect representative of this kingdom of this world mentality. This use of the ladder to climb up yourself and then kick everyone else down who might threaten your top position. So this is what we know about Pilate from first century historians. So that's actually probably a more accurate picture of what he looked like, though with some color and some eyes. No one thought that was funny. <laughs> so Pilate, there's, there's this first century uh, historian, Philo, who writes a lot about um, first century leaders, and he writes about Pilate that he had, he was marked by vindictiveness and a furious temper. And his governance was marked by, this is how he was known to govern, his corruption, 
his acts of insolence, which is disrespect. I actually had to look up these words, so if you <laughs> put them in the brackets. So insolence, his disrespect. His rapine, which is violent seizure of someone's property. His habit of insulting people, his cruelty, his continual murders of people untried and uncondemned. And his never-ending and gratuitous and most grievous inhumanity. Sounds like a nice guy, doesn't he? Yeah, we get, we get just a glimpse of it in our scriptures. In Luke 13, 1, it says, There were some present who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So Pilate's kind of like going around killing people, not a big deal, and then just mingles it with their sacrifices to shove it in their face. He's not a very nice guy. In fact, he's pretty ruthless. He's so ruthless that the emperor himself, who was indeed known to be pretty ruthless, eventually removed Pilate from his position as governor because Pilate crossed a line. And that's hard to do in the Roman Empire. He crossed a line because he ordered this massacre of some people in Samaria that got so out of hand that the emperor's like, okay, you're done. So that's who Pilate is. That's who uh, Jesus is interacting with in John 18. That's the Pilate Jesus suffered under, as we declare in the Apostles' Creed. Now, this is something else that's important to know about Pilate that we're going to get back to. So this is where Pilate lives. He lives in this coastal town called Caesarea Maritima. Notice that Jerusalem is quite far away. Jerusalem is where our text takes place. But he lives in Caesarea up there north on the coast. Some of you Florida folks are pining for the beach again, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> it was lovely. Caesarea Maritima was a lovely place to live. And it was a Roman city. And there, Pilate had quite the digs. He had this beautiful palace. He lived in the greatest luxury right there on the coast. So it is from there that Pilate sends all of his orders, his grievous orders from afar. This is how he rules his underlings while he's in this luxury and then just, you know, sends orders back. Like, just put down that uprising, whatever. Um, I'm just going to enjoy my luxury here. So that is the Pilate Jesus is interacting with. So, like the man on the top of the ladder in this picture, he's not much concerned with what's happening to those who are below him, what's happening with the other people, as long as he stays comfortable and on top in worldly terms. That's just how kingdoms of this world work. But this wasn't just a problem in the Roman Empire. And, and I'm not just talking about governments or nations. That's, it's, that's just um, the setting of how Pilate plays out his worldly kingdom mentality. The reality is the principles of worldly kingdoms, it's the principles of the worldly kingdoms that are at play everywhere, in every setting, every life stage, from the smallest to the biggest, from the youngest to the oldest. We've all seen it at play. So, just visit an elementary school playground, and you'll find Pilate. You'll find him at work. He's the kid who thinks he rules the school, and this kid will use whatever ruthless tactics he can to make sure he stays on top. Have any of you ever been picked on by a Pilate on the playground? 
no fun, right? It's at work. I don't often um, recommend movies because I don't actually watch them <laughs> that often now, but one we did just watch was the movie Wonder. Has anyone seen it? Oh, it's good. I, I can actually recommend that one. It's a tearjerker. So if you've seen that movie, the character Julian, if you picture Julian in your mind, he's this bully of a kid. He's just a smaller version of Pilate, bullying others to make himself more powerful. Or move up a little bit, get yourself a little bit bigger, um, visit a middle school or high school lunchroom, and I promise you will find Pilate. She is the gossiping, name-calling, popular girl who won't let you sit with her, who puts you down for no apparent reason, and some students flock to her, but it's not because they like her, but because they're afraid of her. They're afraid that she will be ruthless if you're not in her fan club. Has anyone ever experienced pilot in the middle school lunchroom? I have, and it hurts. In all of our workplaces and communities, as we get older and maybe get some more um, power of wealth and things behind us, we experience pilot in our workplaces and communities. The person who connives and cheats their way up the financial and social ladder, shoving others aside, kicking others down in the process, whatever they have to do to get themselves to the top. We've all met pilot. Perhaps... We have been pilot at times. Perhaps we have been pilot to our coworkers, to our friends or family. Lord, forgive us for times that we have fallen to the temptations of the worldly kingdom principles. And of course, we've all seen the horrible consequences that happen when a pilot gets so much power behind him that he gets whole nations under him like Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, Mao Zedong, Pilate, Pontius Pilate. So, we wonder, what lies at the heart of such pilot-like behavior? We've all seen it, we've all experienced it. What leads people to be so cruel? Well, we can be certain that evil is certainly a part of it. That is a huge part of it. But there's something else there, too, that is a result of the evil and brokenness in our world that I think is at the heart of this cruelty. And it's at the heart of worldly kingdom mentalities. And I want to suggest that that thing is insecurity. Insecurity leads us to do all sorts of ridiculous things. The people who are most proud and arrogant are at the core most fragile and insecure. Because you see, kingdoms of this world, they are really unstable. They are very insecure. Kings of this world are regularly being replaced. A new, cooler kid moves into town, and suddenly you're replaced as king of the playground. You get one bad haircut in middle school, and suddenly you're not the popular girl anymore. It happens. Brandon's laughing because I've had a couple bad haircuts. <laughs> the stock market tanks and your financial power is gone. The kingdoms of this world, friends, they are unstable. They are very insecure. And so are all 
who find their identity and worth in them. Pontius Pilate knew he was standing on shaky territory. His ladder of privilege, that powerful Roman empire, could at any moment come crashing down. And just like that, everything that had given him his sense of identity and security would be gone. Every Roman leader knew this. Pilate knew this. So he was ruthlessly trying to maintain his position at the top of the worldly ladder. And that is why, my friends, Pilate is in Jerusalem in our text. Told you we'd come back to this. That is why he's left his posh palace in Caesarea to come to Jerusalem. Pilate isn't Jewish. He's not there to celebrate the Passover with the Jewish people. He's left because he's insecure. He's insecure about an uprising. He's heard that there's this guy in town named Jesus who people are saying is king. And when he thinks he's king, this is a big threat. It's especially a threat that, because this is the time of the Jewish Passover. Do you remember what the Passover was celebrating? The Exodus. Do you remember what the Exodus was? It was a time when God freed his people from the power of a foreign king, Pharaoh. This guy, Pharaoh, who people thought nobody could ever conquer. God just miraculously beats him. The people are freed. So can you see why Pilate might be feeling a little bit nervous during the Passover? He's the foreign king. Maybe the Jews' God might just do something crazy like that again. Maybe his ladder is going to get ripped away. So Pilate makes a trip to Jerusalem, and he takes lots of worldly power with him, lots of soldiers to defend his position. But then Pilate meets Jesus. And that's what we get in our text. Pilate comes face to face with Jesus, this person that he thinks is a threat to him, and Pilate is really confused. Because this Jesus doesn't look like a threat at all. He's completely vulnerable. He has nobody around him. He has no weapons, no army. He's not trying to pick a fight. This Jesus, he's not playing by the rules, and Pilate doesn't know what to do. Jesus is not playing by the rules of the worldly kingdom. So you, you are a king, Pilate asks. Jesus kind of dodges the question, answering, you say that I am a king. Because you see, remember, Jesus is a king, but he's not the kind of king that Pilate knows. And Pilate right now doesn't get it. Jesus is the king of a totally different kind of kingdom that rules in a totally different kind of way. Because he's not just king of the Jews. That's what Pilate thinks. Friends, he's king of everything. Not just one measly little section of land like the Roman Empire. Not just the king of one group of people, the Jews, like Pilate thought. But he is the king over all the land, all the oceans, all the stars, the galaxies, the people and plants and animals. Jesus is king over absolutely everything. And unlike worldly kings that Pilate knows, Jesus doesn't need to clamor his way to the top. He's been at the top since the very beginning and reigning over all that is, and he will be there until the very end. 
In Jesus' kingdom, unlike worldly kingdoms, it is never in danger. The kingdom of God is unshakable. It will endure forever. As Psalm 145 declares, as we heard earlier this morning, your kingdom, O God, is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures through all generations. So Jesus, he has no need to fear. He has no need to feel insecure. He has all the power, all the authority, all the time in the world and beyond. But Pilate doesn't get it. Pilate is stuck in his small, limited way of viewing kingdoms and authority and power. So I thought of this analogy to to help us think about what this this face-off might be like for Pilate and Jesus. So since we have a toddler, I'd like to think of a a toddler or a a preschooler, rather, that can talk. A preschooler coming face-to-face with the President of the United States. What a lovely encounter, eh? So the preschooler struts in, he's three years old, and he's like, thinks he's hot stuff, and he thinks he's king of his preschool, he's got all the other kids, you know, you know, tied around his finger, and he's like, hey, Mr. President, I hear you're the king of your preschool. Is that right? Because he's kind of threatened that, um, you know, this, this king might, you know, try to take over his preschool. Are you king of your pre? I hear you're the king of your preschool. And the president's like, okay, sure, you say that I'm a king. Because the president is indeed in power, right? But what the preschooler, the little three-year-old, doesn't understand is that the president is already in power over his preschool. The president's already in power over his county and his state and his entire nation. The preschooler just doesn't know what those things are. So the president is just like, sure, yeah, you say that I'm a king. Okay, we'll leave it at that. So now take that analogy and multiply it by like a million. And that's the interaction between Pilate and Jesus. Pilate, representing a very small temporal kingdom, the worldly kingdom of the Roman Empire, which seemed to him, the world at the time, he comes into interaction with Jesus. And Jesus has a kingdom that is far greater than Pilate can understand. And Jesus is like, I hear you're the king of the Jews. Is that right? And Jesus, yeah, okay, yeah, right. You say that I am king. But he's a king way bigger than Pilate understands. It's an eternal, colossal kingdom. And that's the truth that Pilate can't yet see. Pilate can't yet see the bigger truth, the bigger truth that there's another kingdom at play around him, another kingdom that is ruling over his little kingdom. He can't understand that there's actually only one kingdom. There's only actually one king, and that king is right there in front of him. His vision is too narrow. And the truth that he can't see is that real kings, the only real king, Jesus, operates in a very different way. For Jesus, he uses a ladder too, metaphorically speaking, But it's not to push and shove his way to the top. He's already there at the top. He's secure at the top, and no one's taken him down. Rather, Jesus intentionally uses a ladder to lower himself. 
He throws a ladder from heaven to earth in order to come down, in order to bring us up. Whereas Pilate is kicking people off, Jesus is coming down to pull us up. Friends, that is what Christians are. That is all that we are. We have people who have been carried by the king up the ladder into his eternal kingdom palace. Jesus' use of the ladder is not for promoting himself, but for saving us. You see, Jesus, this is the really good news, unlike Pilate and the other worldly kings, he's not greedy about his kingdom. He loves to share. He's not going to share his kingship because um, things get messy when we start to try to reign, as we've talked about. No, Jesus is the only one worthy to reign, but he wants to share his kingdom with us. Jesus wants to bring as many people into the top of that ladder as he can, into his royal palace. Jesus has brought you and me into his palace. He calls you and me his beloved. He calls you and me co-heirs of his kingdom. We are fathers, we are sons and daughters of the one and only heavenly father. Friends, we are secure. We are secure beyond what you could ever think of. We are loved and valued and cared for because we are citizens of an everlasting kingdom. One day, one day we are going to experience the fullness of this kingdom, a time in which all the false worldly kingdoms will come crumbling down and every knee will bow to the one true king. But even now, if we have eyes to see it, we get glimpses of that kingdom reality. If we have eyes to see it, we can see that Jesus is on the throne reigning, and we trust that he will reign in fullness at one time. So friends, with this in mind, let us accept Jesus' invitation to use ladders the way that he does. Not to clamor and push and shove to the top to try to earn our worth, because we are already worthy. We have all the security and love in the world and beyond. Rather, let us willingly join with Jesus in his work of throwing ladders down, to come down, to humble ourselves, to love and serve others, that through us they might meet Jesus, who is dying to carry them up into the glories of his everlasting kingdom. And the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, may you receive all glory and praise. Amen.